Let's do that. I am so glad that all of you are here with us today. I hope you had a great Christmas. I really do. And then today being the last day of our, uh, of our current year, and then how many of you have another day off tomorrow? Let me just see your hands, and this will evoke envy in the hearts of some, but go ahead. You got to tomorrow off, all right, probably your last day before you get back into the real uh, grind of, of work and such and school. Uh, maybe I think school starts a little bit later, actually. But I uh, hope you're going to have a wonderful holiday tomorrow. How many of you plan on eating something good tomorrow? Let me just see your hand. You, you've got that plan. Anybody here going to watch any football? I'm just curious. All right, some of you are. If you don't know what teams to pull for, just let me know after service. I believe I have the mind of Christ on some of those, and maybe it can help you with some selections in that regard. But uh, I am glad you're here. I'm very excited about this, the series that we're starting next week. But uh, I'm looking forward to today. I I do a lot of message series, as you well know, and I love doing those. But from time to time, between series, we have these moments like we're going to have today. It's just sort of a standalone talk. It's not really a part of a series. And a lot of times, it's it's sort of born out of my own heart, what what I'm seeing, what God's doing in my life, maybe some of the devotional things that I've been seeing. Uh, You know, I oftentimes do not do message prep that way. Uh, just have an idea or a concept or something that God gives to me and sort of take it uh, from there. Um, but, but today, a part of what I'll talk to you about actually has been some things that I've been reading about in Scripture uh, recently, my own devotional practices. And today, what I want to talk to you about is something that nobody really talked to me a, a, a lot about where, and, and that is the kingdom of God. Nobody really, when I was a new Christian, and it may be that my pastor, because I had a great pastor, maybe that he talked about the kingdom of God, and I was thinking about something else that day, but I don't really remember a particular message or, or talk about, about the kingdom of God when I first became a Christian. Now, this is what I know. On any given Sunday here, and I love this about our church, on any given Sunday here, there are people uh, in one of these seats, uh, people generally, uh, not just one, but many people that know a lot more about the Bible than I do. We've got some of the leading professors from Southeastern University that attend our services, and they know way more about the Bible now than I'll ever know the rest of my life. And then there's people that are are like brand new Christians, are like spiritual seekers, maybe even some skeptics, and and there's just not a lot of the Bible that they really know yet, and maybe never even read it uh, very much. And I can remember, some of you have heard me tell this story, when I first became a Christian, I knew very little about the Bible. The most that I knew was uh, what I would hear from time to time when my family would take me to church and I'd go into a little Sunday school class. And that's about all I knew. So I'm 15 years of age and I become a Christian and I just say to myself, I had enough wits, spiritual wits about me to know that I needed to read the Bible, but I didn't have a clue where to start. But I remember hearing somebody say, well, when you first start reading the Bible, you may want to consider reading in the New Testament first. So that sounded fine to me. I didn't really know how to do otherwise. So I said, instead of starting in the very first book in the Old Testament, Genesis, I'm just going to jump over to the newer section. I'm going to go to the New Testament, and I'm going to start with Matthew. And so I started reading Matthew, uh, and I was just intrigued by the life and ministry of Jesus, and I was absorbed in it. 
and I would just read, and I'd read some more the next day, and I can remember as a new uh, Christian finishing up Matthew, and I thought, well, just keep reading on. There's going to be some more exciting stuff here in the Bible. So I just went on to the next book, to Mark, and started reading Mark chapter 1, and then Mark chapter 2. And I got a little bit deeper into that. And nobody had ever sat me down and explained to me the synoptic gospels that there were just basically four different writers. And a lot of you have heard me mention this. And uh, I didn't know that. And so I just get about six or seven chapters into Mark. And I'm like, deja vu. This seems so familiar to me. It seems like I'd, I've read this before. And I had when I was reading Matthew earlier. But I wasn't connecting the dots. And then Mark, and then I got Luke and John, much the same. And so a lot of my readings recently, I've been in the New Testament, sort of New Testament heavy. I like to read a balance between the two. But uh, some of what I'll talk uh, about today really comes out of some of my own uh, devotional discoveries. So uh, cut me some slack in that regard. All right. So I want to talk to you out of this great session of verses, and we're going to look. This is in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 14. You see it on the screen, and I'm going to read down through verse 20, and we're going to take a little time to talk about the kingdom of God, and I think you're going to understand some more things about the kingdom when we get finished. Uh, Verse 14, Mark 1, after John, this is not the apostle John, this is John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, uh, the good news of, of God. The time has come, he said. Look at this next part. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked, sort of a transitional statement, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for vocation. They were fishermen. Come, think think about how powerful this is. This is their vocational. This is their livelihood. This is what they have done and what uh, business-wise they plan on doing uh, to their uh, dying day. But Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they don't have to talk about it. They don't have a meeting. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about what is the kingdom of God. And you can't cover it all in one talk, of course, but I'm, I'm going to give you enough that I think will be helpful. And, and then it begs the question when you're looking at what Jesus does with Peter and Andrew and James and John. You know, the reality is Jesus still have disciples today. I mean, does he? Is that, is that what like you and I are? We're like his followers, his disciples. So before we get into that, we need to first of all start with John because the text, this passage, starts with John. Verse 14 tells us that John was put in prison. Now, uh, again, uh, I like to uh, teach the Bible in a way that I would want to be taught the Bible where it's going to feed those who are really mature spiritually, but also take into consideration of those who don't know a lot about the Bible. 
And so some of you are like, okay, John, who is John? John the Baptist, is that his denominational affiliation or what? Uh, you know, who is John the Baptist? And, and to just make it simple, John the Baptist is actually the guy that's been appointed by God to be the one who's going to be, oftentimes he's referred to as the forerunner, not the Toyota SUV, but the spokesperson. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And so now, uh, John, this guy, he's been placed in prison. So he's the one that has announced to people the soon-to-arrive ministry of Jesus. He is the one that has been saying the Son of God has come into the world. He's making this messianic claim that the Son of God, Jesus, is coming to the world. And when he does, he's going to introduce you to, to the kingdom of God. But now he is in prison. Verse 7 The same chapter, look at it on the screen, slightly different translation, but here's the verse. John announced to the people, the man, speaking of Jesus, who will come after me is much greater than I am. I am not good enough even to bend down and untie his sandals. So John is thinking, if you're thinking that I'm all that, and John had a very impressive role out of everybody that could have been selected by God to be the one who would announce the ministry of Jesus, John out of everybody is chosen. So this is a pretty impressive thing going on with John. But he's like, if you think I'm a big deal, let me just assure you, I am not. I've been given an honor. I've been given a privilege to announce to you that Jesus is on the way and he's ushered in this incredible kingdom. In fact, as compared to him, I'm not even worthy enough to bend down and untie his sandals. That's how important Jesus is. All right, so now he's in prison. And it begs the question in that regard. Well, why is he in prison? Why did he do? What did he do to get into such big trouble? And what he had done is this: he had actually denounced the adulterous relationship between the king at that time in this region and a woman by the name of Herodias, who actually was, uh, when you follow history, the granddaughter of a very powerful and influential king that most of you have heard of, Herod the Great. So Herodias is the granddaughter of Herod the Great, and so uh, John the Baptist has really ticked her off especially. See, Herod, in this case, not Herod the Great, but uh, Herodias's guy is Herod Antipas, and he's, he's intrigued by John, but he's also a little bit afraid of John, but Herodias is not. And so there's this big celebration going on. You've got to understand the setting. Big celebration going on. A lot of partying going on. A lot of alcohol. A lot of drinking going on. People are not in their right frame of thinking. And so all of this is going down. And so the daughter of Herodias comes out, and she does this dance before all of the people, and it, it really pleases. And we don't know a lot of the details about that. Anything that you could say about that dance would be speculative because as it relates, just a good practice to the interpretation of the Bible, uh, if it doesn't say it, you know, you, you can't say that it says it. You know, you can speculate and all of that, but you can only say uh, clearly, definitively what happened. All it tells us is that she did a dance and it pleased the people. And so apparently Herod Antipas is not in his right frame of mind because it so pleases the crowd that he says to her, hey, you name it, Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. You please so many people. And again, there's a lot of drunkenness going on. And he said, you pleased all these people. Big party. You've done this amazing dance. Whatever it is you want, I'll give it to you. You asked for it. That's all you got to do. I'll even give you up to half my kingdom. 
And she, she doesn't know what to ask for. She doesn't have a clue. And so she's like, which is sort of un- unlikely uh, for a young lady, by the way, to not know anything to ask. Of the, but that's a whole different story. And so uh, she said, Mom, I don't know. I mean, he'll give me whatever I want, and I don't even know what to ask for. And again, Herodias has had John the Baptist cooking in the back of her mind. He hates him. And so she says, well, daughter, you just go on back out to the king, and you just tell him what you want. You tell him you want the head of John the Baptist brought in on a platter. You, you, just, you just tell him that. You tell him that's what you want, and that's what happens. So after being incarcerated for about seven months, he, John the Baptist is gruesomely beheaded. Now, when that happened, and, and this is all a part of the story, when that happened, wisdom would suggest to us that Jesus should relocate because definitely he has this connection, this affinity with John, and Jesus does exactly that. So just as, you've got to see this contrastingly, uh, just as the ministry of John the Baptist has certainly come to a close at his death, the ministry of Jesus is about to begin. And this is so important for all of us to hear and to understand, to take into consideration. Herod Antipas really thought that what he is now going to do is get rid of Jesus. He's going to get Jesus out of the way. He is going to diminish the activity and the mission of Jesus. However, what is about to play out is all a part of preparing the way for the coming of the kingdom of God. And there's something fascinating. There's something mystique about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And we can't quite wrap our mind around it, but what does it relate to in regards to his kingdom? Now, what we can relate to is the fact that in all of us have our own little kingdoms. You can say that you don't, but you do. We all have our own little kingdoms. I have my own little kingdoms. I mean, and I'll tell you how that that generally looks. I, I get in my car in the morning, and uh, I've got the seat positioned the way that I want the seat to be positioned. And uh, it, it fits me. I just I have adjusted the rearview mirror so that, that fits me. I, the radio plays the music that I want to listen to. What is this? This is my own little kingdom. I drive that vehicle to my office. I get to my office on the right side of my desk, far right side on the edge. is whatever books I happen to be reading at the time. On the left side of my desk is my telephone. Position in my office is the conference table and the chairs in the place where I want it to be. And I look around, and I know that it's owned by the church. But the reality is I look around, and everything is positioned the way I sort of like it laid out. What is this? This is my own little kingdom. I get in my car at the end of the day, and I drive home, and I walk into the house, and soon thereafter, I sit in my favorite chair, and out is brought to me the newspaper and slippers and a glass of iced tea. What is this? I have walked into the wrong house. I don't know how I got there, but I'm in the wrong house. I don't know how I ended up there, but I'm in the wrong place. Often when people think of God's kingdom, they envision it as a place. The kingdom of God is located here, they assume. That's where the kingdom of God is there. Had you asked me, you know, when I was a young Christian, where's the kingdom of God? I probably would have pointed upwards. I probably would have pointed. There's, there's the kingdom of God. But you're going to see that the kingdom of God is not really a place. So when John was placed in prison and lost his head, it certainly appeared that evil was prevailing. It is true, friends, that all was not right in the world 
But this God in heaven, this amazing God in heaven had a plan, a plan that was at that time hidden from human beings, but working itself out because God had already determined that he was breaking into the world, that he had a destiny for the world, that he was sending in Jesus, and in with Jesus would come the kingdom of God. So Jesus came. You saw it a few moments ago. So Jesus, it said, came into Galilee. And that matters a whole lot. He came into Galilee, and Galilee belonged to the kingdom of Herod Antipas. And although Herod was bringing distress to many of God's servants, Jesus begins to proclaim a new reality. And the new reality was the kingdom of God. And this new reality involved, and I want you to hear this, and this may be the most important thing. If you hear nothing else, I say this morning. I want you to hear me say what I'm about to say. What Jesus was saying is this. There's this new reality, this new kingdom that is breaking into the world because there's this transcendent, everywhere present God that is on the loose, and he's able to do amazing things. He's transcendent, invisible God. And he's at work even when you don't know he's at work. And he's up to things in your life that you don't even know that he's up to in your life. And there's been so many occasions in your life and mine when something could have happened that would have been so disastrous. It would have been such calamity. It would have been, and, and we didn't even see God's intervening hand at that moment. We didn't even know that this transcendent, invisible God was up to something supernatural and amazing in our life. It was like it was totally distant to us. We didn't even know what he was doing. And, and so uh, just transcended everywhere present God. And Jesus is saying he's on the loose now, and he's given his spirit at will, and he's exercising his authority to be able to forgive sins. He exercises the authority to forgive sins. Again, I told you a lot of this would sort of flow out of what I've been seeing in my devotional life once again recently. And, you know, uh, one of the things that just really infuriated the religious crowd, uh, you know, teachers of the law and scribes and Pharisees and such, was when any time Jesus would introduce into dialogue a statement with somebody where he would say, your sins are forgiven. I mean, it's sitting them through the roof. Jesus would maybe heal somebody, and, and before they would walk away, and Jesus would be like, by the way, your sins are forgiven. To the woman caught in adultery, go, sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And this would sin. Who are you? Who has given you power on earth to be able to forgive sins? And John has been announcing that Jesus is the Messiah, but nobody wants to believe it. And a lot of people are saying, how can he even be the son of God? We can't deny the miracles that he's bringing to pass, but how can he be the son of God? Because we know his mom, and we know his dad, and we know his siblings. How can he be the Messiah? It just seems like that would happen so much more supernaturally, mysteriously. And Jesus is saying God has given his spirit at will. He is exercising his authority to forgive sins. He is possessing the power to dismantle the bondage of demonic activity. I was reading in just the last few days a story, and Jesus did this again and again. You read about the demoniac in the tombs, this man that was, he had just run. I mean, they'd have to chain this guy. I mean, he was so, I mean, he was not just possessed by a devil, but by a legion of demons. And he is just out of his mind, just running through a cemetery, naked, having to be chained. And he'd break. I mean, he was just so outrageous. It's the worst of the worst. And Jesus sets this guy free. A man in desperation brings his son to Jesus, initially brings it to his followers, and he just says, I want you to touch my boy. He's afflicted by demonic activity, and, and they can't really do anything about it. And Jesus comes around there. He's like, what's up? And they're like, and he, and he just pleads with Jesus, can't you, can't you touch my little boy? 
And Jesus just speaks to this little, and it says that his body, it's, it's like his body, I envision it when I read the text, it's like his little body just crumbles to the ground, and he goes into convulsions, and he's just like laying still in, in such, uh, it's such a state actually that people look, and it's like he's dead. He's dead. Jesus said, he's not dead. Went over, took the lad by the hand and lifted him up, and he was completely free. And Jesus is saying there's this kingdom coming into the world where sins are going to be forgiven. God has given his spirit at will. He is dismantling the bondage of demonic activity, and he is healing every kind of sickness. I don't know about you, but I still believe that Jesus heals today. You can say, I don't believe that. You know, that's old school, Jeff. Old school, whatever. I believe when I read the Bible and it tells me that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I still believe Jesus Christ can do today what he did then. I believe it. I believe it. And I love the stories about Jesus healing people. Just been reading them again recently where there's this woman and she's, she's been afflicted with his ailment and, and she can't get any kind of help whatsoever. They can't discover her, what her abnormality is. She can't, she's been to doctor after doctor after doctor. She's spent everything that she's got. She wants, she wants to be delivered from her disease, but there is no help. There's no hope. And so in a moment of desperation, when Jesus is just surrounded by this huge crowd of people, and again, anytime I read the Bible, you may want to practice this sometime. When I read the Bible, I try to insert myself into the story. I try to just think, I'm standing there. I'm watching this play out. And, and, I'm, and this huge crowd, I mean, you'd almost liken it to a Georgia Bulldog football game. Hundreds and hundreds of people there. Hundreds. All right, so that's, more, that's my interpretation. You, you can get your own. That's mine, all right? So all these people are around Jesus, and she is in such a desperate state. The Bible says she just works her way through a crowd. She is so tenacious that she works her way through the crowd. And the Bible says she simply reaches out, and she touches the hem of Jesus' gar- garment. And Jesus just stops. He just stops, and he said, hey, somebody touch me. Who touched me? And his disciples are like, are you kidding me? Look at, look at all these people. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you or trying to touch you because they want to be healed. They want to be touched. They want to be delivered. They want to be helped. How can you ask? And Jesus, I love, I've never seen this in Scripture before nor since. And it may be there somewhere else, and I've just not found it yet. But Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, I felt power go out of me. I felt, I felt power go out of me. And you know what, friends? I pray that for many of you. For many of you that are going through sickness in your body, for many of you that have an ailment, for many of you that have been diagnosed with a challenge, for many of you that need healing in your body, I just pray that one touch from Jesus, that power would so go out of Jesus that it would supernaturally heal you once and for all. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And Jesus does it. But he doesn't always do it the same way. That's the thing about Jesus that you've got to love. You can't figure him out. You can't put him in a box. Another occasion, he walks up. And Jesus did some really crazy stuff. I mean, one time he's like making mud balls to put on this guy's eyes. Could you imagine? I'm going to put this, this mud pie on your eye. I mean, he could. And so he, he lays his hands on this guy's eyes. And, and it's like he takes them off. And he says, how's your vision now? Can you see? And the guy's like, okay. 
I can see better than I did, better than before you touched me. I can see more clearly now, but it seems like people, it's like, you know, like trees. I, I, I can't see them distinctly. Uh, it's not real clear. It's obviously better, and, and I love what Jesus does. He said, all right, how about now? And this, this guy's got like 20-20. And what I'm saying to you, listen, what is the takeaway for that? Do not be alarmed or dismayed if the healing work and the powerful work of Jesus in your life is progressive in nature. If you don't receive an instantaneous touch from God, but you are touched, do not give up until you have received the complete miracle that Jesus has for you. Because what Jesus has started, Jesus is also able to finish. And you don't give up. And it may not come all at once. It may be a progressive activity of Jesus. And Jesus is saying there's a kingdom. God is on the loose, giving his spirit at will, exercising authority to forgive sin, possessing the power to dismantle bondage of demonic activity, and healing every kind of sickness. Please hear me, friends. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not there, confined to a specific location. He is saying that the kingdom of God is actually here. It is among us. And you say, do you believe that? I, I really do. I'll take you to a completely different portion in the New Testament. Take a look at the words of Jesus. This is Luke 17, completely different place. We're not in Mark now. Look at verses 20 and 21. Some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answered, God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you'll be able to see with your eyes. People will not say, look, here it is, or, or there it is. And then look at this last part, because God's kingdom is where? within you. It is a great truth. It is the truth that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted him as the savior and the leader of your life, and you're sincerely trying to live in complete obedience to his teachings, then you are not only living under, listen friends, you're not only living under the reign of God, you actually belong to a kingdom of God that is both invisible and unshakable. There's a lot of things that can be shaken in your life, but not the kingdom. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. That's when you get news that it would rattle most anybody else. You're just like solid in your faith. Doesn't mean that you don't have fears or doubts or worries or concerns. Doesn't mean that anxiety will never try to creep its way into your life. But you know there's something different because you belong to a kingdom that is unshakable. I really like what one Bible scholar said. The reign of God is not a spatial category, but a dynamic event in which God intervenes powerfully in human affairs to achieve his unfading purpose. You want to know what God is active in doing? He's intervening in your life and mine. He is bringing to pass his highest purpose. He is accomplishing his will. Now, of course, you've got to be cooperative with God. You've got you to gotta go with what God reveals to you His will is. That's why after the first of the year, you've got to be here next Sunday. Don't miss the first. We're going to talk about turning up the heat. You need it in your life. I need it in my life. We need to turn up the heat a little bit. We just do, get too casual, too comfortable. And if you could become red hot for Jesus, I mean, just fired up all over again. There's some things you can do, and that's going to become a reality. I mean, it's proven in Scripture, and we just need to follow it. And so I hope you're going to be here for that. But how do we relate to his kingdom? What do we do? And this is how I want to finish this talk out. 
Jesus actually gives us the answer in verse 15 of today's passage. Jesus said the time has come. This is quite literally the announcement of an event. The time has come. This is about to happen. He's announcing an event, and the event is God's kingdom, and His purpose is breaking into the world. He said it this way, the kingdom of God is near you. And then He says, repent and believe the good news. For the longest time, I had an erroneous, uh, erroneous idea as to what repentance really means. I thought I knew, and I knew me well enough to know that it's was something that I needed to really understand and practice in my life. I knew it was important because I read about it in the Bible. I didn't fully understand it, but I knew if the Bible said it, I needed to grasp it, and I knew that I would need to because I know me. I'm not as nearly as perfect as most all of you are, and so I knew that I would need to understand it foremost and then practice it. Maybe you're a little bit like me when you think of repent. Or repentance. You hear that word repent, and you're like, ah, oh, man. And all you can envision is some angry preacher somewhere pointing his finger, and that finger's about two and a half foot long, and it's pointed right in your face. As he says, without any compassion whatsoever, repent. But repentance from a biblical perspective is this. It's simply changing your mind about something. It is to totally change your mind, to think differently. Sometimes that simply means that we have to think differently about a pattern in our life, a particular behavior, a habit. And maybe some of you right now on this last day, here we are, December the 31st, 2017, and maybe you've been carrying around a pattern or a habit and you're like, you know what, I've been carrying it all year long, or most all year. Or maybe you've been carrying it around longer than that. And you're like, you know what, now's the time. When the calendar changes, I'm leaving this habit. I'm leaving this pattern. I'm leaving this hang-up behind. You're going you're gonna to change your mind about it. You're, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to think differently ab ab about that. I've seen it this way, but, but I'm going to allow God to change my mind, to shape my thinking. That's what repentance is. It is a total change of mind. It is to think differently. Depending on where you're at spiritually, it may involve an entire turning around of your entire life. Some of you are here today, and you know what? You've been here a long time, and I'm glad. I, I hope you're here a long time. I hope you're here every single week. But you've never yet committed your life to Jesus. If somebody asks you in the community, somebody, a friend, or where you were, they said, hey, do you have a church home? Sure I do. What's your church home? Fitchery Church? You like your church? Yeah, I like it. Why do you like it? I like the music. What else do you like? Well, I tolerate the teaching, but I, I, I go to that church. And it's your church, and I'm glad it's your church. But at some point, you've got to cross a line of, of faith. At some point, you've got to make a decision. You've got to stop splashing around in the edge of the water, and you've got to dive in and say, you know what? It's got to be more than just attending church. I'm going to become, because I do believe, go back to something I said early in this talk, I do believe that Jesus has disciples today. And it's you and it's me. People will say, I'm going to follow him. I'm, I'm, count me in with the crowd of Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Repentance is thinking differently means that we really attempt to stay in step with God's spirit. God's kingdom is in you. He said, my spirit is within us. 
We're out of time. I want to just close by having you look at a statement on the screen by Lee Strobel. He wrote this a number of years ago. And he says, repentance means confessing that we're spiritual rebels, that we've ignored God and broken his rules, and then literally changing our mind by turning around and going in the other direction with God's help. Would you stand with me today? All across this theater, would you stand with me? And and we're going to pray in just a second, but just before we do that, just before we do that, Maybe, maybe you need to change your mind about something. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to think differently. Say, you know what? I'm not going to carry that habit, that hang up, into a new year. I'm going to leave it behind. You're going to change your mind about it. Others of you, you're going to allow God to change your life. You're here, and I'm glad you're here. Just because you occupy a seat on Sunday morning does not mean that you've got a seat in heaven. Well, you get a seat in heaven is you receive Jesus. You become his disciple. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail from time to time, but you don't quit. You get up. You keep following Jesus, loving Jesus, reading his teachings, obeying his teachings. And that's the life that God has for you. Jesus said, the kingdom is among you. The kingdom is within you. Jesus, when he came into this world, he ushered in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is not here, and it's not there, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is here. It's right here. He said, the kingdom is within you. It's within you. So right where you're at. If you're not yet a Christian, would you just pray this prayer with me before we're done? Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you that you brought with you the kingdom of God. You came to heal. You came to save. You came to set free. You came to deliver. I want to be your follower. I don't even know all that that means right now. And there's so much about the Bible. I'm yet to understand. But I know enough to know you died on the cross for me to pay for my sins. So Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. And what a great way to start and into a new year. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you. Happy New Year. See you right back here next Sunday.